You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. he go from this rage that he had within him to becoming the apostle of God's grace? How does that happen? There was a great revolution in Paul's life. A great turning. A great conversion. He went from the state of being angry and, and looking to destroy them to a state of love, to a state of mercy, to a state of grace, wanting all to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. How did it happen? We rarely focus on who Paul was before his conversion. At that point, he was doing everything he could to destroy the movement of Christ. Today, Pastor Dave shares the fantastic things that can happen after you come to Christ. Paul changed from an anger-filled killer to a Christ-loving man whose heart broke for those who didn't follow Jesus. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 22. As he begins his message, Paul's Apologia, the Conversion. Please turn into your Bibles to Acts chapter 22, verses 6 through 9. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 9, so if you would read along silently, I will read aloud. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. It was a Sunday, January 6th, 1850. A young man, not quite 16 years old, walked through a village street in a quiet little town some 50 miles from London. It was a bitterly cold winter day. A new year had just started, and it was snowing heavily. The young boy was not concerned with the cold. He was not concerned with the snow, and he had no interest whatsoever in the new year. He wanted to find a church. You see... Even at a young age, this young man was deeply conscious of his need for God and the breakdown of sin in his life, and he was well aware of the failure of his life even at a young age of 16. And as he made his way through the streets with the snow falling around him, he felt like it was much too far to go to the church that he had originally planned to go to. So he took a turn down a black lane, and he ended up at a very, very small Methodist chapel. He went in, found the church to be cold as it was outside, inside, sat in a pew. About 15 people gathered that morning. Five minutes after the service was supposed to begin at 11 o'clock, the regular preacher hadn't shown up. He had been delayed by the weather. So one of the deacons came to the rescue and began conducting the service. A little while, the preacher of the day announced the text for today's message. 
It was Isaiah 45, verse 22. And he read it. Look upon me and you will be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none other or none else. The deacon didn't know a lot about preaching, so he continued only about 10 minutes. I'm going to read you what the young man recorded in his own words. I'd been wandering about seeking rest and finding none till a plain, unlettered lay preacher among the primitive Methodists stood up in the pulpit and gave out this message as his text. Look to me and you will be saved all the ends of the earth. He had not much to say, thank God, for that compelled him to keep on repeating the text. And there was nothing else needed, not for me at least, except the text. I remember how he said, it is Christ who speaks. I am in the garden in agony, pouring out my soul unto death. I am on the tree dying for sinners. Look at me, look at me, look at me. That is all you have to do. A child can look. Someone who is almost an idiot can look. However weak, however poor a man may be, he can look. And if he looks, the promise is he shall live. Then, stopping the message, the young man continues, he pointed to me, exactly where I was sitting. It says, that young man there looks most miserable. Well, I did, because that's exactly how I felt, miserable. Then the deacon said, there is no hope for you, young man, or any chance of getting rid of your sin, but by looking at Jesus. And he shouted, as I think only a primitive Methodist can, look, look, young man, look now. And I did look, and something happened. Something happened within me. And as I sang that hallelujah that last day, I joined right with them and sang along. And it happened to be a day when the snow was lying on the ground. It was getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And as I walked home, the words of David kept ringing in my heart, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And it seemed as all of nature was in accord with the blessed deliverance from sin, which I had found in the single moment by looking to Jesus Christ. Somehow, a very strange and amazing day, that young man looked from the depths of his soul into the very heart of God. He went out from church and he tells how as he walked through the street that his burden had been lifted and it never, ever, ever returned again. He walked with a new spring in his step, a new joy in his face, a new sense of peace in his heart and he looked, he looked, he looked and he saw Christ and he lived. Young man's name was Charles H. Spurgeon. The rest, as they say, is history. Charles Spurgeon had a revelation of Jesus Christ in his life that day and was changed. In an instant, he was converted. He went from a convicted sinner, dead in his trespasses, separated from God, to a child of God, a saved saint headed for everlasting life. You know, to be converted simply means to turn or to be turned or to be changed from one state into another. You know, some of the examples that I read were to convert something from a barren wasteland into a fruitful field. That's a pretty picture. To convert a wilderness into a garden. Another pretty picture. To convert rude savages into civilized men. See, a person who accepts and receives Jesus Christ is changed from within. They're converted from a state of sin to a state of holiness. There was a change of heart, a change of their disposition, and there is no longer an enmity of their heart that, towards the things of God. 
There's no longer a stubborn, stubbornness that exists in their heart. It's subdued. And this enmity and this stubbornness is replaced. It's replaced by the supreme love of God. It's, it's replaced, and there's a transformation of your life. See, the act of converting is known as conversion. And the term conversion, in all its forms, occurs seven different times in the New Testament. The Greek word used for conversion literally means to turn around or reverse direction. Conversion. Another thing I want to point out is notice the length of Paul's description. It's short and to the point. It's specific and it's focused. Paul doesn't sugarcoat it, nor does he embellish his B.C. days, but tells it like it is, the truth about his life before Christ. I think this is so important. Because when we're talking to somebody about our B.C. days and we start to embellish or we start to stuff things, people can see right through that. People need to hear the truth. This is how I was. This is how I am. See, Paul knows the value of testimony. And each of you, each of us, those that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, those that have been born again into a living hope, we have a testimony. And it's important. It's important. It's a powerful tool. Our testimony is an extremely powerful tool. Our testimony is an overcoming tool, according to the Apostle John. For in Revelation 12, verses 10 to 11, this is what the Apostle John writes. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. Testimony, such an important tool, such an important thing. The power of God in our lives needs to be seen and it needs to be heard. This is our testimony. So as we come now to today's study, we see the Apostle Paul switching gears going from the B.C. days, and now he wants to talk about the conversion, his encounter with Christ. This is the part of the apologia that we call the conversion. Let's look at it. We've already read these verses. Let's read them again to refresh our memory. Verses 6 through 9. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with him indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear a voice of him who spoke to him. This is a beautiful picture. When we studied chapter 9, when we studied chapter 9, which is where Luke first records this incident that we're looking at now, we talked about the hound of heaven. We talked about the hound of heaven tracking down the hunter. Paul, the hunter, is now the one being hunted. The hound of heaven, Jesus Christ was tracking him down. Tracking him down because he had a purpose in his life. Listen to what this commentator, F.F. F. Bruce, describes. He wrote a book called Paul, The Apostle of the Heart Set Free. Listen to how he describes this incident. Quote, With astonishing suddenness, the persecutor of the church became the apostle of Jesus Christ. He was in mid-course as a zealot for the law bent on checking a plague which threatened the life of Israel, when in his own words, he was apprehended by Christ Jesus. 
and constrained to turn right around and become a champion of the cause which up to that moment he had been endeavoring to exterminate, dedicated henceforth to building up that which he had been doing his best to demolish. Talks about a true conversion, doesn't it? How did this happen? How could Paul go from one minute being a Pharisee, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, as of the law, blameless? How could he go from one minute seeking to destroy this way, looking to destroy these people, to get rid of this sect that was destroying Judaism? How could he go from this rage that he had within him to becoming the apostle of God's grace? How does that happen? There was a great revolution in Paul's life, a great turning a great conversion. He went from the state of being angry and, and looking to destroy them to a state of love, to a state of mercy, to a state of grace, wanting all to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. How did it happen? Well, we get an idea of how it happened in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1, when he asked the question to the Corinthians as they, they were questioning his apostlehood. They were questioning his being an apostle, and he asked this question, Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Ooh. Paul declares that with his own eyes, he saw the once crucified Christ, now exalted as risen Savior. This is what led to Paul's conversion. He looked at Jesus Christ, and he saw a Savior. On the Damascus Road that day, Paul sees the risen Lord, and it causes him to turn 180 degrees. But as we said, Luke recorded for us this entire event in chapter 9, and we read it, and we studied it, But we can look at chapter 9 again for just one quick verse because it seems to me that the text kind of gives you a thought that the Holy Spirit was already working in Paul's life before this happened. Because if you read quickly chapter 9, verse 5b, which is the second part of the verse, it says, Jesus tells Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Hmm, a strange verse. The goads were instruments that they used to put on the front of the plow so that if the ox began to kick, he would kick against that and he would all of a sudden realize, I can't kick against that, I'm getting nowhere, and he would continue to plow. He would continue to plow. God was working in Paul's life. He was kicking against this Holy Spirit that was trying to convict him, trying to quicken his heart. But how was he working? What was God doing? God was using Paul's very zealousness against him. He was using the very zealousness that Paul had toward the Lord against him. He was using Paul's persecution of the way to minister to him as only God can. God was revealing himself to Paul, showing him the depths of God's love. And this is what God does. He meets you right in the midst of where you are. God doesn't say, clean up your act and come to me. That's not what I read. God says, come to me just as you are. You've heard that Jesus cleans his own fish. In the midst of where you are, God appears. God is there. Many, many great scholars believe that the death of Stephen, you remember Stephen, the first martyr? The death of Stephen had a profound effect on the apostle Paul. You remember the story? Paul watched him die. Paul even writes, I consented to his death. Paul was there. Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin that day. He voted death, killing. Paul watched it. Remember what else it said? Paul held the cloaks of those who were stoning him. Paul heard Stephen's message. Paul heard the gospel. Paul saw Stephen's face as that of an angel. 
Paul saw everything, and then he watched this man die, and he heard the last words out of this man's mouth, the same words that Jesus uttered on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You don't think that had a profound effect on the Apostle Paul? He saw that with his own eyes. He gathered it. He reached it. You know God's word does not come back void. God's word will accomplish that which it is sent to do if we allow it to happen in our heart. You know, sometimes we hear a message and we think it's a good message, but it doesn't come to light. Sometimes it takes a while for it to sink in. Sometimes we have to hear it and, and, and live it and see things in our lives before all of a sudden we go, wait a minute. But that's what God does to me. When I'm trying to do something I'm not supposed to be doing or, or thinking of way I'm not supposed to, all of a sudden I hand going, bam, oh yeah. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't let up. The Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness, convicts of sin, convicts of judgment, because that's what the Holy Spirit's supposed to do. The Holy Spirit doesn't give up, and he continued to work on Paul's heart. He continued to work. Something was happening in Paul's heart. As I said, God's word doesn't come back void. It accomplishes that what it's sent out to do. Paul knew what Stephen went through. He saw it. So as he came to Damascus Road, suddenly God appeared to him on the road, hearing a voice. Paul answers and says, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, there's several things of interest here that I want to look at before we move on. First of all, Paul answers Jesus correctly. He identifies him as Lord. Oh, wait a minute. He recognized Jesus as Lord. Now, the word here in the Greek is kurios, and it means supreme one, supreme being. It means God. So Paul recognized Jesus as God, as who he is. Paul's conversion was instantaneous. And speaking of the way to salvation to the Romans in Romans 10, 9, he says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, kurios, that's the same word right there, kurios. Paul knew immediately who was speaking to him. He knew immediately and he identified him. Immediately the Spirit quickened Paul's heart to the truth and he was born again. The second thing I see, and very encouraging to us, and we need to pick up on this, the second thing I say is, who did Jesus say Paul was persecuting? Paul said, I'm persecuting the church. Jesus said, no, 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 no. You're persecuting me, Jesus said. That should give us great hope. That should give us great, great excitement because when we're being persecuted, when things are happening to us, they're not persecuting us. They're persecuting Christ. Hey, big brother, this is yours. They're persecuting him. They're persecuting the one who came, the one who came to save the world. They're not persecuting me and you. It's great. Jesus identifies with his church, and in it I couldn't help but going to the Truth Project, the Unio Mystica. I love it, the Unio Mystica, the oneness we have in Christ, us in Christ, Christ in us. We're all together in God the Father, one. So if you're persecuting one, you're persecuting the other. I love that. I can only imagine what's going through Paul's mind right now. For so long, he thought he was doing God's work. He thought he was doing God a favor by getting rid of this sect. He sees the risen Lord, and immediately he's changed. That's the way salvation is. You're changed immediately. Oh, I know. Sometimes it takes a while to work out in your life. I understand that. But not in God's eyes. In God's eyes, what did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. In God's eyes, it's done. He sees you as pure. He sees you as holy. Paul saw the risen Lord and was changed. 
What about you and me? What about you and I? I didn't see the risen Lord. I didn't hear a voice. Spurgeon didn't see, didn't see the risen Lord that day. But we both look to the Lord for salvation. We both look to the Lord. And there's a great scripture in John 3 when he says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You don't have spiritual eyes before you're born again, but when you're born again, you can see the kingdom of heaven. And it has, it has two meanings there. Obviously, if you're born again, you're going to see the kingdom of heaven. You're going to have eternal life with God after you pass from this earth. But I also think it means you can't see spiritual things unless you're born again. You can't see the kingdom of heaven. When Spurgeon and I, I like that sound, Spurgeon and me, I like that. When we gazed into the face of God, we were changed. We were changed in an instant. If you go back to our opening verse in Isaiah 45, verses 22 to 24, let me read them to you. Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Have sworn by myself... The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. He shall say, Surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come, and to all shall be ashamed who are incensed by him. This simple but powerful statement right here shows us the plan for salvation. It shows us the actual plan for salvation. First of all, it shows us the simplicity of salvation. Listen to what the great commentator Alan Redpath said. Quote, One can read many books on theology when expound all kinds of things in an attempt to show how man can reach God. But these theories are far from the truth. The Holy Spirit needs exactly four letters. Two of them are the same. He tells us what to do. L-O-O-K. That's it. It's the simplest basic thing a person can do. Yet it's the most difficult in daily living. Unquote. So we see the simplicity of salvation. Look to Christ. We see the focus of salvation. We are looking to Christ as God and never to ourselves or anything else of man. We're not trying to build a kingdom. We're looking for a kingdom. We're not trying to get there by works. We're not trying to get those things by what I can do. We're looking to Christ. Again, Red Path. Quote, look unto me in his word, which means looking away from the church because the church will never save anybody. Looking away from the preacher because he can disappoint you and illusion you. If I haven't disappointed or illusioned you yet, hang around. Look away from all the outward form and ceremony. You must look off from all of this, but you look to the throne of God. You look to the throne of the Almighty God, and in your heart you see the risen Lord. You see the risen Lord, and this becomes salvation. You see the reigning Christ. So we see simplicity of salvation, the focus of salvation, and it shows the love behind salvation as God is pleading with man, look to me. God is pleading to man. Jesus is pleading to man, look unto me. Look to me and be saved. We have this beautiful, beautiful picture of God demonstrating his love to us, but yet we were still sinners. Christ died on the cross. Look to me, Christ says. You are our time with you is running short for today's edition of a sure hope pastor dave will continue this journey through the book of acts when you join us next time but for now you can listen to this teaching and others from this series online at assurehoperadio.com 
we'd encourage you to download these messages so they are available wherever you are. We know how busy life can get, but there's always a time to pause, even if only for a few minutes. Those short breaks could be filled with the study of God's Word and the uncovering of treasures from its verses. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, gaining access to the latest messages as soon as they're posted. Find out more at assurehoperadio.com. If you're looking for a church family and happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you come join us for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel Cape May meets weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. And we offer nursery and Sunday school where your children will be well cared for as they learn about the love of Jesus. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Thanks for listening to today's message from the book of Acts. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you'll discover Jesus working in your life. Pastor Dave will be back soon for another in-depth look at this New Testament book right here on A Sure Hope.